Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canin, where we address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, Chief Strategy Officer at Stevens & Associates and your host for this conversation. I'm happy to partner with Royal Canin to share knowledge and tips to help each of you in your practice. Today, we turn our attention to cats. With less than half of all cats in the U.S. visiting the veterinarian on a regular basis, it's clear changes need to be made to encourage this trend to shift the opposite direction. But getting cats to the clinic is only part of the problem. When practices are not designed to be feline focused, the cat and the owner may both have negative experiences. This podcast, featuring Dr. Natalie Marks and Royal Canaan's Dr. Leslie Estelle, explores some simple changes clinics can make to be more welcoming of cats. Welcome, Dr. Marks, and welcome, Dr. Estelle. All right, well, let's dig right in. Let's talk first about passion, right? What a great way to get this started. Let's talk specifically about your passion for cats and when yours began and when you realized there was a real need to help clinics be more feline focused. So, you know, Dr. Marks, let's start with you first. Well, again, thanks for having me, Brenda. Um, this is such an important topic, and I think most veterinarians can probably look back well into their childhood about their passion for a certain breed, and I certainly had that for dogs and cats from a very young age. I remember running around in a farm at age five, chasing as many cats as I could, trying to wrangle them all up as a cat herder. Um, but as a veterinarian, I think my passion really was ignited and I had a light bulb moment, an aha moment, so to speak, in my first years in practice in Atlanta when I had a client come in that many of my associates at the time would sort of roll their eyes or get exasperated by her comments because she was looked at as what we call, unfortunately, in the media, the crazy cat lady. She had 16 or 17 cats at the time when I saw her and people just were really frustrated dealing with her because she looked at her cats completely as her children and just wanted somebody to hear her. I remember very clearly working with her with one of her end-stage diabetics and um, having to work through an end-of-life moment with her. And she went into a very severe depression after losing that family member for a very long time. And it hit me very hard to really truly grasp that while a lot of people don't think that you can bond with your cat the same way that people bond with dogs, it is there and it is something that people really, really, really depend on. And so that was a, a true aha moment for me as a veterinarian. But then when I started looking more at how we were presenting ourselves to cat owners, I had a, a client come to me and say, you know, Dr. Marks, you, you see my dogs, but do you actually see cats here? And I thought, oh my gosh, what are we presenting to them? And I looked at our social media, I looked at our website, and lo and behold, it's mostly dogs there. And why were we doing that? And it's giving the wrong impression. So um, for, since that moment, it's been a, a real commitment and a passion of mine to get cat owners out there to understand that they aren't second-class citizens, that we do applaud their commitment to having these family members. We applaud their bond. And we love having their families be part of ours. So uh, that's when it started for me. And I'm really glad to be part of this project. That's so important. So absolutely important. So heartfelt too, right? That's a really great story. So Dr. Estelle, what was your like defining moment when this became a, a, big, a big mission of yours? Absolutely. Thank you, Brenda. And I have to say it's a, a sincere honor to be uh, doing this podcast with my colleague and friend, Dr. Marks, um, who okay. does a lot for cats 
uh, in veterinary medicine. For me, it, it, it kind of echoes Dr. Marks in the fact that I have been uh, an insane animal lover since I was little. I wanted to be a vet since I was four. Um, and I, my entire family is really allergic to cats, unfortunately, and I was obsessed with them. And most of my friends uh, had cats. So as a little girl, I would be invited over to their homes and probably would bypass saying hi to my friends and go directly to saying hello to their cats. Um, and that bond developed um, as I got older. My first pet in college was a cat who was with me for 17 years um, and, and who I, I lost just recently. Um, and so the, the value of human-animal bond, particularly with cats and realizing the bond that we can have with cats is something that I want to share with the pet population and making it uh, cool and, uh, and an amazing experience to, to have a cat that you bond closely with. Um, in veterinary school, I, um, I focused on small animal general practice medicine and surgery. And so I saw a lot of dogs and cats and my, I, I did that for about 10 years. What I realized is that I did a, um, uh, some locum work within a cat-only hospital, and I was blown away with the practices of a, a cat-only, cat-friendly practice. Uh, and we'll be talking about that throughout this podcast, but I realized as a tenured veterinarian that there are ways to always continue to educate to be able to elevate the, the cat-human-animal bond, as well as uh, cat medicine in general. That's, uh, I love the idea of continuing to educate, right, and the, the comments about the human-animal bond, which leads, I think, to our, like, our first kind of let's dig into this a little bit. Clearly, you look at a cat, you look at a dog, and you can tell the difference. So why, why do people have such a hard time recognizing the fact that from a medical perspective, they're also different? You know, what are some of the common challenges um, that clinics face when you try to see both kinds? And what are some of the differences that make a difference? Well, I think the first thing that is a misnomer out there is this whole philosophy that cats are just small dogs. And that's something we've been trying to disprove for several years now um, to get people that are practicing in what we call mixed small animal practice, I guess, um, that are seeing both canines and felines, you can't lump them all in one group. You actually have to sort of sub, sub kind of divide your practice into subspecialties because cats are going to have incredibly different body language, especially in the hospital. Cats are going to have different ways that diseases are treated compared to the disease in their counterpart, the, the canine. Cats are going to have different ways they process medication. Cats are going to have different ways that their blood work suggests disease. Cats are going to have different ways they tolerate anesthesia. Cats are going to have different ways that they present disease to the owner. Um, there's so many lists of differences that it's much more far apart than they are together. And so I think the one thing that we really have to get across here is that if we're assuming that these species are similar just because they're small and because they're owned maybe and come to the same practice or live together, um, we are, are sorely missing the boat. And we have the opportunity to really focus on two completely separate species and really get those clients to understand that we do recognize the difference and we celebrate the differences so that we can le let them both achieve long quality of lives in their own regard. 
And, and to that point, uh, I've noticed over the last 20 years in veterinary medicine and uh, veterinary students going through the ranks and, and entering our beloved uh, profession is that um, even 20 years ago, it, we kind of lumped in, um, we didn't define feline medicine like we did canine medicine. It was kind of lumped together. Uh, and one of the common phrases is that a cat is not a small dog. And I think we're seeing that progression, but we definitely can take it up a couple notches um, and really empower the, the, the younger professionals and realizing that uh, cats are very different from dogs and the fact that we need to educate the pet owner as well as um, elevate the general public on the importance of taking care of your cat. Really smart thing. So let's talk first about, okay, let, let's go into the pet owner first. That's the more difficult part, I thought, right? I mean, mm -hmm. simple things we can do to welcome cats, we'll talk about in just a second, which is easy compared to the education of the pet owner and um, being prepared to better serve that pet owner. So what are some of the things that you can recommend a clinic can do from that mindset of a cat being different to help educate the owner that the cat is different and needs to be treated a little bit differently? Yeah. For me, uh, and I'll have Dr. Marks chime in, I, I think that especially now that we're living and breathing in a virtual world, elevating feline medicine, feline health, feline facts, um, what makes cats unique on social media platforms is a great way to out have outreach for our, our patients as well as uh, the community. I totally agree with Dr. Estelle. I would add to that, that since so many of our pet parents now are home so much, and many of them are first time pet owners, which um, is wonderful. And we're so glad that everyone can experience the joy of the human animal bond. However, there are a lot of misconceptions that come with that, including cats are just an easy pet, right? You can just throw a bowl of food, leave for the weekend, come back and they're fine. I, I think for me, two things that I really want pet owners to learn and um, develop at home. One is, what is normal cat behavior, right? Your cat's not grooming well. Does that matter? Absolutely. We should know right away, right? A huge sign to us, but many pet owners don't recognize that. Um, signs of pain in cats. This is thankfully an area of tremendous research right now with the feline grimace scale and all the new studies that are coming out. But it's a huge thing that we've been missing for many years. I mean, how, I think it's up to 90% potentially of senior cats can have lumbar arthritis and they're not jumping well and people just assume my cat's old, it doesn't do that. No, your cat's ouchie, we need to fix mm -hmm. that. So I think educating cat um, parents about those signs and I think the other piece is how do we set up a cat-friendly home? How do we provide the right enrichment for cats, especially in a multi-cat home? How do we provide the setup? What's the best layout to put out food and water and toys and enrichment and puzzle feeders and scratching posts and perches and all the things that make cats happy? How do we provide that so we don't end up with cats with inappropriate urination or over grooming or destructive scratching? All things that new pet parents or maybe parents that haven't been educated on this get frustrated with or even sometimes relinquish cats for. But we can make such a difference by getting them from the beginning to set up their home where a cat can love being there, feel safe and secure and happy and enriched physically and emotionally and mentally healthy. And that way it just improves that human cat bond. I love, love, love that. And I know Dr. Stella, I want to let you hop in here real quickly, but it leads to the question then like, isn't there a way that practices can kind of somehow showcase 
what it would look like to have an environment that is cat friendly. Now, granted, people aren't able to come into the practice like they used to, but I would love to have each of you comment a little bit on how easy or hard that is for a practice to, to set up an example of what a cat-friendly environment should look like. One thing that I just want to do a quick add and then I'll circle back, but there was a survey that was just released yesterday by Royal Canin looking at 2,000 cat owners. Uh, and so about 50% were a mixed species household, so dogs and cats. Um, and out of those 2,000 owners, six out of nine said that they will only take their cat to the vet when they notice something is wrong. Mm. So I think as veterinary professionals, we need to be able to be the educator and the steward of cats of what is, um, what the importance is to have those biannual quarterly examinations what wrong versus like when right? there is something wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and that starts from the very first time that we're meeting and having that, that uh, veterinary client patient relationship. As far as promoting the cat friendly practice or a, a cat um, uh, practice that can 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 be amicable to our feline patients. A lot of it comes down to um, I, I I think that there's a lot of education around getting the cat to the vet in the form of a carrier. And so making sure that every person in the veterinary hospital knows how to talk to cat owners and what to do to set us up for success versus waiting the last five minutes before I have to go to the vet and putting the cat into the carrier and uh, continuing that negative feedback loop. There's just so much that we can do to, to make our, our, um, our um, patients happier and have more of a successful exam. I think that there are some uh, small clinic things that we can change, even if we're not dealing with a, a cat only practice. Um, if you can do separate entrances, great. A lot of times that's not super logical, especially in the city. Um, cat friendly rooms to where you're only seeing cats and cats only in that room are some basic things that I think we can set it up for success. And I know Dr. Marks and her practice has a lot of experience. <laughs> we do, um, and we're, we're proud of that. And thank you for saying that, Dr. Estelle. You know, Brenda, to kind of circle back to your question about the um, feline-friendly home, right? The feline-focused or the enriched home. I think it's fairly easy for practices to start doing some simulated setups on social media. You know, it doesn't take long to get your iPhone out and set up one of your doctors or team members who feels comfortable in front of a camera saying, you know, here are some things that are absolutely essential in a cat house, right? So here's something that's a perch, here's a scratching post, here's a litter box and having the right number of litter boxes per number of cats in the home, so important. Here's where your food and water should be in relation to the litter boxes right? Looking at things to encourage um, the predator in them to come out when they're praying for their food, right? Well, why puzzle feeders are so important. And if you don't want to get a puzzle feeder, how to feed them in small little snack size portions hidden around the houses at different elevations, right? It encourages exercise and mental stimulation and makes them feel more like the inner predator that they are, which is, of course, what makes them happy from a brain perspective. Doing things like that on social media, I think, are, are fairly easy, and most practices can do that. Mm -hmm. But I agree with Dr. Estelle. We know that the number one reason, I, I would say in some studies, that cats don't see come to the veterinarian is they are scared of the carrier or the owner does not want to deal with the cat carrier. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a perfect example. 
Um, we, I, I recently, before all of this happened, so I, I shouldn't say that recent, maybe five years ago, I had a good client who normally was always 20 minutes early for an appointment and has three cats at home. And all of a sudden I'm looking at my watch, it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I'm like, where is, where is this lady? Finally, she comes into the, to the exam room. She's dripping wet from sweat. She's got a huge scratch down her arm. You know, she throws the carrier in the room. She goes, oh, I had to chase, you know, fluffy around the house. I couldn't catch her. I finally saw her under the bed. I used a broom to get her out. I threw her in the carrier. I raced here in the car, ran from the parking lot, and here she is. Well, I'm just exhausted saying that story. So you can imagine the stress in that cat, right? Um, if that's the type of experience that our clients are having, I, I own that. That's on me for not educating them appropriately on how to make it a stress-free experience. Having the cat carrier be part of their furniture every single day, leaving it open, feeding them in it, putting a nice fleece blanket, letting that cat be sensitized to the sight of the carrier, right? Making their car a spa experience, having the right music on, securing them behind the passenger seat on the floor to less, lessen motion sickness, carrying the carrier from underneath so they're not jiggling around from the handle, using pheromones to help relax them, and preparing for the visit. Mm -hmm. We can't look at our watch five minutes before and your cat's sleeping beautifully peaceful on a cat tree and throw them into a carrier that's been in the garage <laughs> covered in leaves and cat pee for the last year. I mean, who wants that? And unfortunately, that's sometimes what we see. But again, I'm owning that. I did not do a good enough job educating our pet parents on how, just like Dr. Estelle said, how to come to us in a stress-free way. And if that was the kind of experience I had, I can see why clients don't want to come in, right? So I think that's a huge point. Absolutely. How easy to discuss that and, and carry your practices on your social media platform. I always yeah. like to call it the home away from home um, mm -hmm. as far as carriers. These cats should um, seek it out to um, relax and feel comfortable. Those are such great tips. It seems like, like all common sense, right? Once you explain it that way and the idea of uh, posting this in social media, I think it's just brilliant because what a great way to connect with your pet owners and new pet owners who might come to you. So I just want to like recap real quick, three, three really important things here that I gathered out of this that um, people listening to the podcast, it, it seems to me should remember anyway. So correct me if I'm wrong. Number one, critical, understand the needs of cats, understand how they think, what they want, what drives them, and then communicate that out to your cat owners. Don't just assume that they understand how to take care of their cats. So that's a, to me, a critically first step. Second thing is to help them understand how to recognize signs of their cat being ill or something not being right. Like you said, you know, stop not jumping anymore. It may not mean that they're just old because hello, I mean, I'm getting older and I still like to jump. So let's, you know, let's not assume anything here. Um, and then the third part is once you do recognize the importance of getting them in for regular care and that something might be wrong, how to make that a pleasant experience and how simple that can be through some of those tips that the both of you have just, you know, have just shared out. So just wanted to take that quick pause and see if there was anything you guys wanted to embellish there, but it felt like three really strong, simple, actionable framework points for any practice to consider. No, Brenda, I think you hit the nail on the head on, on, on the recap of, of focusing on cat health. Yeah, I totally agree. Cool. So let's take a quick left turn here, though, because, okay, let's, let's assume that um, we now have all these great things done and people are understanding and taking care of, and they do bring their cat into the clinic, and the cat's gotten into the carrier happily. So what's happening in the clinic 
once they get there that you know we may be doing unknowingly to make it a negative experience where do we begin yeah, that's a great question because it's, you know, it's always hard to critique yourself, right? It's, it's hard to look and say, gosh, am I really, I've been doing these things for so many years, is it really wrong? But sometimes that's the best moment because once you acknowledge that this is maybe not the best workflow or the best handling or the best setup for these cats and you start to change it, you will notice immediate improvement. So I think a, a couple things I would stress. One is pheromones are a must. Um, you, it does not take much to stick diffusers in your lobbies, your exam rooms, your treatment areas, your recoveries, wherever cats are going to be touching your practice, the diffusers are easy. Set up an SOP for a team member to be in charge of that, replacing the refills, so on and so forth. It's very easy. Pheromones are also used all the time on towels for handling. We spray ourselves, of course, and, and using that to really, again, improve the relaxation naturally for those cats that are entering our practice. I think that's, that's an easy, very first, good first step. The second thing that I want to tell everyone is towels are your friend. I, that is the simplest thing that you can add to your exam room to make a world of difference. And the reason for that is handling cats in a low stress way to me is by far the number one thing pet owners respond to positively. Whereas if you are not handling a cat in the way they need to be handled and responding to their body language in real time, mm -hmm. that reaction from that cat, that negative body language, the growl, the hiss, the swat, the ear position, whatever you're noticing is the first thing your pet parent will notice and get turned off because no mm -hmm. one wants to see their pet uncomfortable. We don't either, but especially a pet parent. And that just escalates, right? So once, you, once it turns to a negative experience for that cat, you've lost that cat, right? We, we, we need to keep everything proactively positive. So understanding body language, impregnating pheromones on a towel, using it, I call it a burrito. So wrapping up that cat in the sweet little burrito in a towel, they can hide, which makes them feel better. You can isolate a body part all to itself. It's a gentle way of touching them. You can warm it in a towel warmer, and especially your older cats, they'll feel amazing, or your kittens, because they need that heat. Um, there's so many things you can do with a towel to allow a very positive handling experience. So I would say that's number two. And the third thing is, is we need to be educated on feline-specific guidance, mm -hmm. feline nutrition, feline diseases, the specific medications and supplements that really are feline-focused and not just be giving general information that you would give also to a canine owner. Cat owners are very astute and they will know if you're just sort of throwing out generalizations and really aren't focusing on their pet. So I really encourage, especially in the areas of feline preventive wellness, so annual screening of blood and urine and blood pressure for sure is so important, focusing on the technology that you have that really helps cats, abdominal ultrasound, endoscopy, those kind of things, feline dental radiographs, so important. And then finally, feline nutrition and understanding cats and dogs are incredibly different in their nutritional needs. And that's very important from day one. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Marks, yes, 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 across <laughs> the board. I, I am totally online. And one thing that I just add for food for thought, essentially for those folks that are joining us on today's podcast is that um, just in my personal opinion and, and, and seeing um, 
cat-friendly practices, et cetera, is that try to really minimize the um, mobility of that cat within the practice, meaning try to keep the cat, if you can, in one room and one room only, can really enhance feline wellness and make them feel more comfortable and confident. They're not creatures of change unless they decide that they want the change, right? So um, trying to minimize them moving within the hospital can really help their well-being while they're there. I love that point because studies have shown it takes an average of 20 minutes for a cat to acclimate to a new environment. So if you think about that from an exam perspective, if you're moving that cat from a lobby to an exam room, to a treatment area, to another place, um, that cat is having to shuffle and adapt very, very quickly to potentially four different environments and potentially several different team members. So I think that's such an important point. Ladies, this has been such an information packed few minutes here. I mean, think about the amount of insight and guidance that you both have shared just in this very short period of time on this podcast with everybody. I think we've covered um, a lot of really helpful tips and tricks for practices to consider, information that they can share out with their cat owners and ways they can think about how they're going to make their practice more attractive to cats and also just be better stewards of that, you know, that cat health um, relationship. So, you know, as we're wrapping up a little bit here, is there one thing out of the many phenomenal things we've shared here, you know, today, is there one thing that you want people to walk away from this podcast thinking about or acting on? How do you distill it down? But let's try. I would say cat first mentality and two prongs. One, elevate your social media to reach more people to, and focus on cats and elevating cat health. If I can have a second one, if possible, within the clinic, uh, if you have multiple exam rooms, I would assign one room for cats. It's going to help with all the things that Dr. Marks talked about, as well as keeping it uh, the most cat friendly and enhance cat wellness. Great tips. Dr. Marks, how about you? Well, I, Dr. Sell stole mine. <laughs> That's, mine, mine. That's mine. That's mine. Uh, equally, right answer. It was asthmatic. It was asthmatically yeah, right. So equally important though, is I, I guess I can't point out enough is the low stress handling and body language assessment. The more that your team can understand how a cat responds to stress and anxiety, the more that your pet parent at home can understand what normal cat behavior is and what not normal cat behavior is because that abnormal behavior can be one of the first keys to us seeing that cat early in disease and catching things as well as for a pet parent to really feel like part of the healthcare team. And I think that's one thing that has really been successful for us is to encourage both dog, but in this case, feline parents to understand they are essential to us knowing how that cat is doing. We're not there, and now they are all the time, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And the more they can tell us if that cat's eating normally or has a change in a pattern of eating, it's not jumping as well, it's urine clumps look different, it's not grooming as well, it's sleeping in a different room, it's acting weird to its housemate, all these things, they seem subtle, they're huge. And I think if we encourage that communication for body language assessment and then how to handle them in a low stress way, that experience both at home and in the practice is going to be so much better. Wow. We could do a phenomenal podcast on each and every one of these things that, that we discussed here today, but thank you for this really tremendous and rich 
conversation, Dr. Natalie Marks and Dr. Leslie Estelle. This has been a really fantastic um, few minutes. And um, we thank all of you who are listening to this podcast and hope you've taken away some really phenomenal information that you can use in your practice. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.